Baker holding it in. Rolled it on into the corner. The leader's got it back again. Black across ice. It's the line of the blast. He scores! Corey Mitchell is in front of the net. Got a piece of it. Do you know what that highlight was, Don? It was a Tory Mitchell goal. Was it the last goal of the season or something? It was the, the last goal in what is it was the hundred hundred and fiftieth goal for the Sabres, which is the all time worst in the expansion era. Wow. Dead last. Less than two goals a game. Hundred and fifty goals on the year. One less than the hundred and fifty one that the expansion Tampa Bay Lightning scored. Huh. Now we did have 157 team goals, but that is, that doesn't mean anything. Shootouts right. or whatever, right. right? So congratulations on that. Yeah, why did they have to give you a 3-2 win? For, why not just say they, they won 2-2 two two in the shootout? Right. I mean, it's meaningless. Right. Well, it creates an extra column, which creates math problems <laughs> later for like yeah. tiebreakers and stuff. But uh, welcome to the Sportscasters. What a great – you know, last week we opened with all of the uh, – negativity that surrounded my boneheaded inability to the art Rooney, the art Rooney, art Rooney our model thing, our right? model, yeah. Well, we had a great response to the show actually this week, lots of, uh, tweets, uh, retweets, favorites, a couple emails. A lot of people really enjoyed what we did last week. The return of Chris Ballard, uh, Jeff Perlman, a lot of people like that. And David Shoemaker, which man, wrestling people are out there. They want to hear shit. Every time we have wrestling people on, we get a little bump from that. Yeah. So I want to mention that if you listen last week and you're back this week, I figure we should mention sooner rather than later in case we bore you that you can find our stuff at www.sports-casters.com. See, I think people who are like actual professionals at this, they do this stuff like constantly. Just naming their right. selves yeah, and, and their email. Yeah, never do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you listen to the radio, they are identifying the state. Like in the middle of the interview, they'd be like. Oh, yeah, constantly. Yeah. yeah, and we just don't do it. But uh, sports-casters.com, at sports underscore casters on Twitter, the sportscasters at gmail.com. This is what we have today, and this is the reason we don't do it. We don't have big enough egos, I don't think, for this. No. In a sense. No. We, and this might even sound insincere to some people, but I'm telling you it is. We much – we like to just get in and get out. We like to the show to stand on the people we bring to it and the, what they contribute. Right. I think that that's what we kind of look at as like the biggest accomplishment of this. Like we're just kind of a setup to get you to – Greg Wyshynski of Puck Daddy to come in to talk about the NHL playoffs. Damon Hack of Golf Network to come in and talk about the Masters. And then Sam Coda from Union Dutchman to come in and talk about Union College, a school with only 2,000 students uh, beating the uh, University That's of Minnesota. That's their enrollment, 2,000? 2,000, wow. yeah. It's a liberal arts college in wow. Schenectady, New York. Yeah, and I know um, my sister's best friend goes there, but wow, I didn't know it was that small. Tiny, tiny joint. So that's the lineup today. Greg Wyshynski, Damon Hack, Sam Coda. So we got all kinds of good stuff there. And uh, we're going to start the show with... All sorts of stuff going on yeah, today. Yeah, we got, we, got, <laughs> <laughs> we got commercials playing. All right, let's do it. Three things. All right. On the count of three. One. All righty. I'll kick it off. 
to. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. All right. So three things this week. Dot and I are just going to share three things. Got a lot of interviews to get to, so we're going to kind of get in and out here. And some of the things that we go over in three things are actually going to be uh, topics of the interview. The first thing is the Masters uh, was this week on. And actually, uh, my brother did not win the national championship this year, but he did get to go to the Masters. So, really? Yeah. He's, How did he like it? It was uh, some kind of a life. Oh, it was the thrill of a lifetime, I think. Really? Oh, yeah. He absolutely loved it. Has he ever been to a golf tournament oh, before? He's, He's a golf guy, you know. Through no, no, no. Yeah, I, I understand. He, he went that, to one last year. Prudential. He went to. I think he's been to one before. There's certain sports that we talk about. I mean, we talk about all different every sport basically you could think of. But football, I think, is better to watch on TV. Right. Uh, hockey's better in person. I couldn't speak to basketball, but I would assume that golf is way better on TV. In a lot of uh, instances, I'm sure, but I think. You know Augusta National and being yeah. there and did he go with the follow a certain golfer? Or did he stay at a certain green or a I fair? think he mostly stayed like there, he has a picture pretty much sitting at the 18th hole on Saturday, like sitting like in the front row right behind the rope. Oh, okay. so he was a guest of members, so he had I better access than I guess the average uh, the average person who buys a ticket, I guess. Uh, but uh, so here's what's come out of it: Bubba Watson won his second. Out of three. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordan Spleith, one of the younger guys, almost won it. I think he's only 20. Wow. And the tournament itself did way less ratings this year. With no Tiger. With no Tiger. Yeah. And I mentioned, I was talking to Anthony about talking to Damon, and I said one of the things I don't really care that much about is Tiger Woods, but it is undeniable that the sport itself is not quite as viable on a grand scale, without the guy, there's just kind of no denying that, right? At yeah, least the, in the in, at least in the short term. Sure, golf is going to have an adjustment period when he's not there anymore. Yeah, they need a new superstar. I mean, even was Phil playing? He missed the cut, uh, so that hurts too. Yep. Uh, yeah, they need to find a guy. So yeah, and, and so maybe that twenty year old. And this is what we're going to ask. You know, the twenty year old. Uh, Roy McIlroy, who struggled yep. again, who struggled a lot since he became emerged as maybe the guy. Right. So I have to ask Damon about that. And uh, and then what about Bubba Watson? I mean, he's just won two or two three, three Masters. See right. a guy who can win on the long term of the year? Or see a guy who's just got the game that fits the course? That happens a lot. You'll see guys who will win a lot at certain courses. Mm-hmm. It'll be because they're a game. And I've heard this already this week that the game that Bubba Watson plays is perfect. For Augusta. So we'll find out more. Damon Hack will be on later. Our second thing this week is uh, the two major sports leagues going on right now. I mean, other than baseball, are entering their playoffs. Uh, We'll talk more specifically about hockey. This week and basketball next week. Okay. So, yeah. Right. So we won't talk too much about this. The NHL lottery is also tonight, which is interesting more this year than usual for me. Yeah, and so I mentioned this. This is a question I have for you about it. So I I mentioned this to Puck Daddy. If you're a Sabres fan, you want the Islanders to win the lottery, not the Sabres, right? I want, yeah, if I had to rank the teams I want to win, I want it to be the Islanders, then the Sabres, I suppose, then... Anyone but the Leafs. Then, Well, then anyone picking before the Islanders already. 
and then anyone but the Leafs. Right, so that the Islanders would Don't, move up. Right, so I want, yeah, I want the Islanders pick to stay at five, I think it is right now, if it's not going to be – either way, I wanted to stay at five to tempt them to take it or if it's going to have to be my pick. But it sounds like they probably wouldn't take it because I – from – the little bit of research I've done, it sounds like there's four guys and then a drop-off. So if you're the Islanders, you probably just hold on to it till next year. Right. So you want the Islanders to be first so that they're basically forced to keep it this year right. to have yeah. the extra bullet for next year. Yeah, and then I'll get, or if I mean if they want to Or if they want to give us the first right, two, yeah, then I'll we take, get two of the four we get two of the guys now. Sure, right. And which I'll would take be that. a fine way. And then we're gonna get who knows, we might be in the same position next year. Right. Not, this is not going to turn around quickly for the Sabres. They only won 21 games. If they won 35 next year, they'd still be I'd a, be shocked. Well, and they'd <laughs> still be very much in the conversation for bottom five. Right. That's 14 extra wins. What are they going to do between now and then? Yeah, they gave a stat. If they won 10 more games, or got, yeah, that would be 20 more points, they still would have finished with the third worst record. That's how bad they were this year. So, yeah, the lottery is kind of fun, I guess. I don't know how they stretch it out because only one team moves. It's not like every team can move. Uh, so now I always ask you these things. Your team is out. Your team is going to be in draft mode starting tonight. Right. They'll know what pick they have. Uh, by June 1st, they'll know if they have two or not. Uh, at some point, they'll find out if they have Minnesota's pick or not. Right. Are you coming to the TV for the NHL playoffs on Wednesday? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, or do you need it to be a game Saturday? No, no, no. I, I, I love playoff hockey. Uh, it's not a fun way to do things, but there's a few teams I'll root against. Like, I'll root against the Bostons of the world. And, I mean, Will you maybe, root for Ryan Miller? Do you want to yeah, see Ryan sure. Miller? I mean, there's, a, there's a couple reasons. Besides the draft pick. Right, the draft angle. pick is there. And I have nothing against Ryan Miller. He was a good... And I think I said goal. Minnesota. I meant St. Louis. St. Louis, pick right. is the one that... Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I'll root for them. I'll root for Steve Ott and Lindy Ruff in Dallas. They didn't do anything wrong here. I mean, they left because the team was terrible. I, I can't blame them for that. Yeah, I'll root for Lindy Ruff for sure. It's got obviously a, as big of an uphill battle as anyone in the playoffs, but I think he did a good job to get his team there, especially in the post-Olympic break. They made a great run to get there. Yeah, and the one thing, um, last thing I'll add about hockey is last week you asked if they had a good season, and we both kind of agreed that they probably did. The one thing I didn't mention is – how the playoffs changed in addition to having the different divisions, having a bracket is awesome. Like I've said this for a long time that hockey should go to a bracket because it will bring in a casual fan. It just wants to fill out a bracket. You uh, think it will do that? I, I don't know. Cause you know what? I'm a, cause I'm worried about that. And me and puck daddy talk about this as well. I I'm a, I'm more than a casual fan of hockey. I'm, I'm an above average fan of the league itself and I'm a huge fan of my team. So this year I've been somewhere in the middle and do I will it do that right away? No, probably not because I didn't realize until today that it had a bracket. Right, but and, maybe and it's I'm something a fan, they can build but, on. Right, but it's something they could build on. It's something they could they're not going to have billion dollar pools for this, but they can have uh, uh, websites putting out pools. I mean, if you can get people to gamble on it, and I know that's like a big taboo in sports, but if people can gamble on it, it'll bring them to their TV. It could also, this is going to be a year where it could backfire right away because you could have a situation where the Rangers or the Flyers are playing a significantly weaker team. That, like, let's say Pittsburgh loses to Columbus. Which they could. I mean, let's if you, just if say you, they did. If you read advanced stats, 
Pittsburgh is one of the worst Corsi and Fenwick teams in the league. Now, and I've, we know that, uh, and we'll get more into that when we do a playoff preview later. Uh, right. We know Marc-Andre Fleury has, has Shaky, struggled too. Right. But just in terms of what we're talking about right now, let's just say Columbus wins. Whoever, whoever uh, they play in the second round is going to be uh, getting a huge break as opposed to Boston playing the winner of Tampa Bay and Montreal, not getting to play Columbus. Well, it's right. going to be a huge right. disparity. And, and in the past, it would have receded. It would have receded, right. absolutely. And Boston would play Columbus. It's not going to work out that way. Instead, let's say Boston has to play Montreal, a huge rival, and they get knocked out. And Columbus goes on, and they play Philadelphia, and Philadelphia wins, and it's Philadelphia-Montreal. Oh, you're going to hear it from Boston. Sure. They're not going to be happy. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, but uh, hockey's so tight anyway. The Kings won the Cup as an eight seed, even reseeding every number one seed. Right. So, uh, or the top three seeds. So, so worth the risk, in your opinion. I Yeah, I like it. Okay. I, I like the fact that you could fill out. I mean, we've done little pools in the past for this, and you have to redo it it's every pain. single. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a pain. pain. Now it's you fill out a bracket. Uh, the one I saw on NHL.com, the only the tiebreaker is you get bonus points for picking the number of games each in series goes round. in the first round. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, they also have goals for the final, I think, if yep. you need another one. Yeah. So, all right. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk to Greg Wyshynski about that today, and we'll reach out to Jenkins or Mellis or one of our basketball dudes next week because their playoffs don't start till much later in the week. Right. So I bet by the time we record hockey next week. starts, what, Wednesday? Yes. Wednesday. starts Wednesday. All right. Uh, third thing today. Interesting story that I wanted to kind of just talk about for whatever reason. And maybe some of you have read it. I sent it to Don so that he could read it ahead of time. And uh, it's on Deadspin and some other places. So Phil Ivey, and, uh, who's a po- professional poker player, if you don't know who he is, has often been referred to the Tiger Woods of poker because he kind of looks like Tiger Woods a little sure, bit. Sure, yeah. Uh, he and a friend, I guess, uh, an Asian woman, quote-unquote, yeah, is basically yeah. how they've described her, Right. found a, a defect I guess is the word in the way that a certain deck of cards is cut. Right. And by identifying this and by asking the casino to to sort the cards a certain way. Yeah. And then to shuffle them a certain way, they were able to gain a huge edge on a table game that led to them winning $12 million at one casino. Right. And, uh, that casino didn't pay out. They didn't pay. They gave their original million dollars back. back. Right. And he's suing that casino. Right. And then the casino that paid him in England, I believe, is suing, paid him but is, is suing, suing him, him and wants the money back. Uh, all right. Here's the issue I have with it. A, um, and this is the most glaring thing, is the idea that you could flip these cards – the cards have a design in the back. Anyone that's seen playing cards, they have different designs in the back. These ones happen to have almost like, like a diamond pattern on the back. And it was cut slightly off center. So if you flip the card one way, uh, you could tell the difference between a card flipped the other way. So the, essentially, they flipped the higher number cards and left the other ones unflipped, something along those lines, and had them put them back in the shoe or whatever that way. Now, now, from what I can, it's a little confusing, but they didn't, everything that they, that was giving them an advantage, they asked the casino to do. Right. And, and they ad- said it was based on superstition and right. the casino could have said no. Right. And didn't. And they've admitted to doing it too. And the weirdest thing. They uh, didn't manipulate the cards themselves. No. They didn't touch the cards. Right. They 
said, will you do it this way? I'm superstitious. Will you do it this way? Two different things they needed to get them to do. And the strangest thing is at the second casino, I don't remember how much they were up after the first night. But the they casino were... was up. The casino was winning. The casino was winning the yep. first night. And they asked to increase the stakes. Okay, no, right. Yeah, they did that. They increased the stakes. And, and the then they were up. And the casino got greedy. And then they went home or like went and stayed overnight. And they said they would come back the next day as long as we can use the same exact cards because we're superstitious. And the casino still said yes. Which to me is insane. Uh, the only argument the casino has, there's only one they have, I think. And I don't think they have much. I think that it's tough luck. Yeah, how do you wait till someone's 10? Yeah, like, tough luck. Right. You, both of these casinos, first of all, Phil Ivey and this girl know about this. You could know about it. You already spend millions and millions of dollars on security cameras and other things to, to, to prevent cheating. Maybe you should read a daily or whatever, whatever it is they knew about these cards they should know. Right, and they knew both these casinos had this these this brand of cards. That right, were so miscut. that's negligence on the casino security right. team my just to put these cards in play. Right. That's one. Two, the pit boss or the dealer on several opportunities could have said, No, we're not doing it this way. We don't care about your superstition. And they casinos s- don't have to honor superstition. Right. The article I read said as soon as like a weird request is made. Even if you honor the request, generally the pit boss takes a look at it and you kind of peek over at that table a little bit more because uh, it's bizarre. Like, why would, why would you honor this request? Is it – I don't see it any worse than card counting. I think what they're going to have to do here is say, okay, they beat us. Maybe ban them from the ho- hotel if you want. Right, but-, but the only argument they have is I guess there's a clause that you're supposed to play in good faith, quote-unquote. Yeah, but isn't the casino kind of built on lies? <laughs> like they have these big uh progressive slot machines that promise winnings of millions of dollars but nobody wins them. Casinos themselves are monuments to they don't people casinos losing don't necessarily money. play in good faith either, right? right. Yeah. I don't know, they might I don't know how far that goes, but it's going to be really interesting to follow. Uh check it out. Deadspin has a really great write up about it and uh uh, send us your opinions. I'm curious to see what people think. Uh, I actually, it's one of, very rarely do I ever look at comments on an article. I actually sat and read the comments because I was just curious what people who would be interested in this article thought about it. And it was split, actually. Really? Yeah, you could tell some people, uh, for whatever reason, uh, thought that, hey, nope, they're cheaters. They were cheating. Yeah, I wonder what they would think about card counting because that's just kind of using your brain to figure it out i know it's frowned on but not illegal it's not illegal right and and they're gonna have to the casinos to win are gonna have to prove they did something Something illegal illegal, not something frowned upon right 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 you know so i don't know all right let's take a break this is what we're gonna do we're gonna do greg wasinski now then we'll do book club then we'll do golf to break up the hockey a little bit okay then we'll do our playoff preview and then we have a long interview with sam coda i hope you listen to it Hope you listen to part of it, hopefully all of it, but it is long, so maybe you skip through it. It's totally up to you, but we'll put Puck Daddy first. We'll do some more hockey now. We'll do a quick book club. It's two minutes. I already recorded it. Then we'll do golf with Damon, and then we'll finish with hockey, basically, Sounds and then good. check in for one last thing at the end. Our next guest is from beautiful Matawan, New Jersey, and is a graduate of the University of Maryland. He is the editor and main contributor of the Puck Daddy blog on Yahoo. 
He's also the co-host of the Merrick vs. Wyshynski podcast and is making his eighth appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the always engaging Greg Wyshynski. What's up, Puck Daddy? Oh, you know, a little of this, a little of that. Getting ready for the, uh, the postseason, as it were. So I have to ask you a personal question. No, it's not a personal question. It's a professional question, but it's about you professionally. So I don't know if it's a personal or professional question, but... I'm wondering, is there ever a chance, and this is nothing against Leahy, uh, now, uh, it's not against him at all, but it pains me a little bit that you don't cover the Frozen Four as a someone with a very personal and, and, and long interest in college hockey. Do you think there's ever, and the, the only reason I, I say that I'd love to see you do it is just because you're the main face of Puck Daddy. I mean, you're Puck Daddy, right? So you're the main face of that, and I feel like not having you ever cover it makes it just automatically seem as a secondary event to Puck Daddy. Well, I mean, I, I tend to believe that it's that the blog covering it in, in our own little way helps elevate the tournament to the it attention does. of some people that might not necessarily pay attention to it. And I mean, just like everything else that we do coverage-wise, the main thrust of it is to try to present it to a, a more wider general audience, right? So... You know, we have Lambert do a full breakdown of the entire field, and then Leahy does some some team-specific stuff leading up to it. And then uh, because he's much more in tune with the teams that are in it than I am, he's the guy who covers it. I mean, I get what you're saying. I'm flattered by it. But, you know, I, I covered it when it was in D.C. It was an amazing event. And for me, it's more like I want people that are more in tune with with the current state of college hockey and the, mm-hmm. and the teams that are involved uh, to cover it because they're going to be able to convey it better than I do. I mean, you know, by, by far, Leahy and Lambert know the players and the teams and the coaches and the history better than I do. So it's, it's all about trying to just put the, the right people in the right places to provide the best coverage. Yeah, and, and that's a fair enough answer. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I, and I hope, you well, know, he probably doesn't listen or will never know anyway, but I hope Leahy, you know, isn't offended and, and, and kind of knows what I meant by this. <laughs> oh, no, why, why would he be offended by <laughs> saying that him covering something makes it less than, than good to read? <laughs> yeah, and that's not what I meant at all. It was more of just like a perception thing. Like, I think that, uh, that um, uh, why am I going to blank on his name, but the past uh, Frozen Four announcer, the one, uh, Gary Thorne, uh, is a much better play-by-play guy than John Butchergrass is. But I prefer that John Butchergrass is now calling the Frozen Four because I think he's a bigger presence at ESPN, and it makes it seem like a bigger event to ESPN. That's what I meant. So, mm-hmm. No, I feel yeah, And, and again, yeah. I, get, I get what you're saying. I mean, And there are certain, obviously certain times in the blog when when I want to cover something or my editors want me to cover something, you know, if it's like a pressing issue of the day because they know ultimately, you know, my, my take might get, a few more clicks than, than Harrison's or, or, or Leahy's. But, I mean, it, it's also a case where, you know, if it's the Frozen Four or, or the Canucks or the Penguins or anything of that nature, I mean, if one of us has an expertise over the others, that's usually the way I'd want it to go. So, yeah, I mean, I like the event. Uh, I think it's cool, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy that overall just that the blog's able to um, give that thing some extra extra attention every uh, every year because I think it's a really great tournament and definitely one that's sort of like booming right now amongst American fans just because I think people understand that it's it's the place to go. It's our world junior, basically. It's a, it's a place to go and, and see the stars of tomorrow, but 
also kind of get your college sports jones on. So well, it works out nicely. Yeah, and that's kind of my, my other question I wanted to kind of ask you about it is it's an, it's been an amazing year for college hockey in the sense that you know they have they've they had the realignment is now finished and everyone's kind of settled into where they're going to be. They had the Big Ten Network get involved and uh, Notre Dame and NBC Sports. I don't know if that was good or bad, but they they created their relationship and which kind of edged out the ECAC from the network a little bit, which I think maybe hurt more than it helped. But at least that's in place. And then all the players signing this year, I think they set a record. I think last I seen it was thirty five, maybe thirty seven. And it's really interesting to me how many non playoff teams have been willing to burn full years on players' entry-level deals to get just a small piece of these guys. The Flames burned an entry-level, one year an entry-level deal on four different guys. Agostino is the only one who played more than, say, seven or eight games. And uh, the kid from Quinnipiac wasn't even a draft pick, and they were willing to do it. And then obviously using it for two players from BC who played one game, and they burned a whole year on that. What do you think that... uh, it's, is this uh, more of a new CBA kind of a thing, or is it uh, speaking to the increased quality of players that play Division One college hockey, or what do you think it is about the trend of uh, draft picks and un, uh, undrafted players uh, g- going right away to the to the NHL and making debuts and scoring goals, and like I said, the issue of the whole ELC? Well, I mean, I, I think it speaks to the fact that these, these are like endangered servants because of restricted free agency. Like, burning a year doesn't really matter all that much to a lot of these teams because, A, they just want to get them under contract and, and do it now and just get it out of the way and get these guys in the system as quickly as possible in order to start developing them going forward. But, B, I mean, like, they just they have them. <laughs> they have them for, for the, the first X number of years of their careers um, without any, any, any fear of them leaving uh, because, A, restricted free agency is what it is, and, B, the offer sheet business is not existed in our game because it's an old boys network. So um, I think they're able to kind of do that because they know inherently that even if you burn a year of a, of a kid's contract, it's not going to mean you know all that much going forward. I mean, it's, it still puts them in the pipeline where you play with us for uh, an X, X number of years, and then we have exclusive negotiating rights, and if things go well, then we're going to give you a longer extension. So I, I I just feel like they feel it's more important in the short term to get them inside the organization than anything else. I uh, and everyone is probably so 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 angry, angry with me right now. I was like, enough with the college hockey. The playoffs start on Wednesday. Shut up. But uh, I, I'm curious about uh, something else uh, NHL related. We'll move on from that. But uh, I asked Don this last week, and I'm curious what you think. Do you think the NHL pre playoffs because uh, we don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs yet, and that that will. You, you might change your answer after them, but do you think the NHL at this point is looking back on the season they've had so far and is thinking that it was a good season for the NHL? They did a lot of things like increasing outdoor games and committing to the Olympics again, uh, you know, it's shutting down the season for that, and all the things that they've done. Do you think that the NHL is at a good year for the NHL? Yeah, I think they would definitely assess it as a good year. Like you said, the outdoor games was, was one was part of that and the success that they had there. Uh, they came back from the Olympic break and didn't have any loss of momentum as far as marketing, as far as attendance goes, and that's always a good thing. And, you know, the, the one of the fears of the new playoff format was that it was going to monkey around with parity. Um, but what, what became pretty clear is that uh, you had a number of different teams, the number of teams that were in the playoff races late. And then on top of that, because you had this new divisional format, there was some intrigue 
towards the end of the run as far as, you know, who would jump up to the 2-3 series versus who would be a wild card. And, uh, and you know, granted, the fact that some of these mysteries were simply about home ice, like in the montreal Tampa Bay situation, was kind of a bummer. But the the extra variable of of having that 2-3 uh, series locked in and then having the wild cards not only playing for their spots on, on the bubble, but also potentially to move up and, and, uh, and grab that 2-3 series, I think added a really nice wrinkle to it. So, yeah, I would say they had a pretty, they had a pretty good year. Yeah, I was actually pleasantly surprised with how the end of the year played out with the new playoff format, because I think I was a little worried about it for some reason going into it. But, and, and maybe that will make me wrong about me being absolutely terribly petrified that they're going to get very burned by not reseeding this thing for the purpose of a bracket gimmick that probably isn't going to matter anyway. Uh, like, is that a stupid concern? No, it's my it's my legit concern with it too. I don't I don't dig it. I don't I don't like the idea that it. we don't reseed because yeah. I, I like protecting the, the top seeds. You know, I, I want the best teams in this tournament to be the ones that that we we get to see throughout it. I mean, you're always going to have upsets, but there's no reason to try to rig the system to create upsets. And the idea that the Boston Bruins would have to play a team that that has more points in the second round and the team say like the Pittsburgh Penguins would have to play is, is nonsensical. Um, it, it, I know it, it harkens back to the days of divisional play and that's the way it used to work. But, you know, I think you need to build in some mechanism where you can have these rivalry games like the Rangers and, and, and Flyers and Kings and Sharks, but also make sure that your top seeds um, don't get burned by by not having a receipt. So I'm a little wary about it too, but, but I'm I'm willing to kind of see how it plays out. Yeah, I'm willing to see how it plays out too because I was burned. But I kind of like chuckled a little bit that they must be slightly worried about it too. In the <laughs> just in the sense that when they posted the bracket on NHL.com, all of a sudden there everyone was changed from like one to four, two to three. It's like there's two ones and two. Like it just like was an odd presentation to me. Which I guess that's the way you would do it, obviously. But it just like kind of caught me off guard. Like, oh, we're, we're they're all in with this, huh? Here, you know, here they go. So I don't know, yep. but yeah, we'll have to see how it plays out. Uh, th- we did get good matchups though, and especially in the Western Conference, it helps when you have just like a ton of teams with over a hundred points. I know hundred points isn't what it used to be with the three point uh, games now, but there's really some great matchups. Which ones, as you look at it, one or two in bo- on both sides, are you most excited uh, to get into? As far as the top seeds, or uh, just in general with the with the playoffs this year, what's what what matchups are you looking forward to in round one? Well, Sharks and Kings is the best matchup in the, right. in the playoffs. I mean, it's it's going to be an epic series. They the last time they played, both teams helped serve on home ice, and it went all the way to seven, which would seem to indicate that's good news for for San Jose this time around. Um, but you just have all these interesting variables on the shark side. Trying to see if you can get scoring from guys, knowing that the that Gowdy was, is going to be matched up against a Thornton line. Trying to hope that Niemi regains his form and, and becomes the playoff performer that I think he is. Um, but he obviously struggled down the stretch. Um, and then you have the whole expectation thing. I mean, the, the Sharks are a team that a lot of us think could turn the corner and finally win a cup this year. Uh, but they're going up against. Not only with their arch rival, that's you know arguably, but also a team that just seems completely built for the playoffs. So it's it's an it's an ama- amazingly intriguing series uh, on a number of uh, of levels. 
Yeah, I think both of the two threes in the West worked out amazingly well. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about St. Louis because, uh, you know, I Ryan Miller, I know, and I, I'm not necessarily a Ryan Miller homer. It's not even on my team anymore, but I watched just about every game he played before he was traded. And I know he wouldn't have gotten many votes, but he certainly would have got my Vesna vote. And I don't think that this year's Sabres team that won 21 games would have even won 15 if he wasn't on the team for as long as he was. But the last couple weeks, yikes, I mean, it's been the Ryan Miller that at times in Buffalo has been the guy that people have questioned here. That He's had a, a tagline of like Mr. Softy and, uh, you know, things like that has went around. And I always kind of looked at him as like a that goal goalie. Like he would be capable of making so many great saves in a game, but then you'd always look back on that goal that he let in. It's like, well, everything else he did was ruined by that goal. And I was thinking about him and Marc-Andre Fleury as well, and I was just wondering what you think about players that are under the most pressure to perform in this first round and in the playoffs in general. Do you look at uh, uh, Miller and Fleury and, uh, and and maybe some other guys in that mix as well? Well, in Miller's case, it's a lot of pressure because he was really acquired to, to show up that position. And towards the end of the season, he got Sydney. And uh, all of a sudden, you're now worrying about what he's going to be in the playoffs. I I still think he's he's one of the points of concern for the Blues. They shouldn't be all that concerned about. I mean, when when the other point is is, is his health and offense, but it's still a point of concern. Um, I don't know. I mean, I mean other guys that who the hell who the hell's not under pressure in the playoffs? Right. Honestly, like I mean, Flurry obviously, uh, Carey Price obviously. I mean, I I, I think there's maybe one group or two teams rather that aren't under pressure in the playoffs and it might be the Blue Jackets and the Stars and that's it. Yeah, and that's an interesting point. So, you know, is there any coaches you think that need to win a certain, get to a certain point to come back? Like, I would think, again, with Pittsburgh, maybe that's a situation where if if we can't get to a certain certain point in the, in the playoffs this year and they went to the Eastern Conference Finals last year, so the bar is obviously very high there. But are there some coaches you think that need to win some rounds to keep their jobs? I, I think all of them. <laughs> I mean, again, it's like okay. it's the playoffs. So, you know, Bowles is under pressure to, to win now, I suppose. Um, but, I mean, it's the playoffs. I don't, I don't think – I think everybody's under pressure in the playoffs. One of the best things about the playoffs is we every year we see guys emerge from the – from the from the shadows of the league into the to to the right to the main page of NHL.com and PuckDaddy.com and and guys just emerge and show themselves as the great talents they are. Are there any guys you're really excited to see what they can do in this playoffs? Like I, I'm really excited to see what Jaden Schwartz can do in the playoffs. Just to name a kid, I don't know why I'm so focused on St. Louis, but I just thought of him. But are there some guys you're really looking forward to to seeing what they can do in the playoffs this year and maybe being that guy that at the end we say, wow, what a step he took forward in his career. Yeah, Schwartz is one, only because the secondary scoring is going to be really interesting for the Blues in the playoffs. I mean, as far as, as rookies go, McKinnon's one that I think is going to be really interesting to watch for Colorado to see exactly how much he'll step up in the post, in his first postseason. Now that Hurdle's healthy, to see what he can contribute to the, to the, uh, to the Sharks. Um, and then all the guys on, on, on Columbus. Uh, that we've yet to really see in the playoffs yet, including Ryan Johansson, trying to figure out exactly what they'll be able to contribute against uh, against the Penguins um, in a in a in what's you know very intriguing series. 
I was thinking about the Rangers a little bit the other day. I think uh, one of the radio guys here in Buffalo is super into analytics and is really into hockey analytics and pointed out that the Rangers really look like a much better team on paper when you look at hockey analytics uh, than maybe people have given them the credit for this year. Do you think they can be a little bit of a sleeping giant in the uh, in the Eastern Conference? I think everyone's kind of focused on Pittsburgh and Boston, and do you think that they can maybe be a, a serious challenger in the East? Well, the key for the Rangers has always been offense, and, and that's the make or break. Because you know what Lundqvist is going to give you in the, in, the, in the postseason. He's almost unbeatable in the first round unless he doesn't get the goal support. And as the playoffs go on, he's always been very good. But, but again, the, the, the Rangers' offense would wane, whether it was just an inability to score on the power play or the big players not scoring in big spots or Tortorella playing that uh, conservative style of hockey. You know, there are reasons why they never, they never, you know, advanced uh, all that far when he was the coach outside of that one run to the conference final. So, um, it's all going to depend on the goal support that that Lundqvist gets, and, and it looks like he'll get some decent goal support. It's the reason why they went out and got San Luis in the short term. So, it's. Uh, I don't think. I, I mean, I I know that, that Pittsburgh gets a lot of love, but I, I've considered the Rangers to be the second best team in the East for a while now, only because the Penguins have kind of seemed like a bit of a mess injury-wise. You don't know, you get out of flurry. And just overall, I'm not I'm not enamored with the, the depth on their forward group. All right, the Sportscasters finishing up with Greg Wyshynski from the Puck Daddy blog and Yahoo Sports, at Wyshynski on Twitter. Puck Daddy has a Twitter as well, a separate one as well, right? Is that just at mm-hmm. Puck Daddy? Yeah, that's just, that's just tweets out the articles and, <laughs> and not any of my whimsy. Uh, anything uh, planned for the for Puck Daddy for the playoffs. What are you guys going to be doing? How are you guys going to be covering it? What can people look for in terms of following along with the playoffs with you guys? Well, we run previews starting tonight on Monday night, and then, you know, the next couple of days, our predictions will go up on Wednesday. Our awards predictions uh, will go up on Tuesday. Uh, we'll be doing a live chat on uh, on Tuesday night for the draft, uh, the uh, draft lottery, and then doing uh, a live chat on Wednesday to kind of kick off the playoffs. Um, during the day, so it, you know the usual. It's it's uh, it's going to be a good ride, and and as usual, we will provide uh, the best coverage I think that uh, that you can find. Yeah, and I said to you off the air, and I say it to all the Sabres fans out there: the team that we want to win the draft lottery is the Islanders. I think <laughs> let them win it, and then because we no worse than second, right? And then they either have to give us the first and second pick this year, or take the big risk going in the next year, right? It's true. You like that logic? I think that's uh, airtight logic. All right. Greg, thank you so much for doing this. I always appreciate it. You got it, man. Thanks. All right. All right, I want to thank Greg Wyshynski, the Puck Daddy, for always being such a great friend to the show and for stopping by today and talking a little bit about the NHL playoffs. And again, with all apologies to Sean Leahy, who I'm sure will never even know that I somewhat disparaged him earlier. Uh, I think he's a fine, fine writer for Puck Daddy. I was a different point. Anyway, book club, uh, quick update. Last week we finished up uh, with a great interview with Jeff Perlman, the author of Showtime, Magic Cream Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers Dynasty in the 1980s. Uh, that's available everywhere now, and uh, that interview you can find on our website, sports-casters.com, and also on iTunes and Stitcher Season 4, Episode 10 of the show. Uh, Jeff was great, and we got a great response to that interview, and it's a book definitely worth reading. Even if you're not that huge of a basketball fan, as I've said, it's always been very interesting to me how, with basketball being my least favorite of the sports, it seems like with the book club we've had the best basketball books, and certainly hockey maybe my favorite at least uh, 
you know, hockey or football, it's a toss-up, but we haven't had a good hockey book really at all, except for one by Roy McGregor, which was a compilation of columns and uh, a coffee table book. Those are really the only good hockey table or the only good hockey books we've had. Anyway, our book club book of the month for April is Up, Up and Away, The Kid, The Hawk, Rock, Vladdy, Pedro, Legrand, Orange, Yuppie, The Crazy Business of Baseball, and The Ill-Fated but Unforgivable Montreal Expos by Jonah Carey. He's been all over. Uh, great response to the book. He's been on the uh, Oberman Show on ESPN. Uh, he's regularly on Baseball Tonight. Uh, formerly of the the Damashek world, he's got his own podcast, which I saw just started back up for baseball season. He writes for Grantland. He's always been really good to us, and he was the author of one of our very first uh, book club books of the month, The Extra Two Percent, which was a New York Times bestseller. But anyway, this this month's book, Up, Up and Away: The Kid, The Hawk, Rock, Vladdy, Pedro, Legrand, Orange, Yuppie, The Crazy Business of Baseball, and the Ill-Fated but Unforgettable Montreal Expos. Grab it, read it, send us questions if you have any for Jonah. He's going to be on in a few weeks. We're going to take a break and come back with Damon Hack. Our next guest is from Los Angeles, California, a graduate of UCLA. Masters in journalism from UC Berkeley, wrote for the New York Times, no big deal, then went on to SI, no big deal either. Today he covers golf on television for the Golf Channel, just a so-so career. Uh, Obviously, I'm kidding. He's one of our all-time favorite sportscasters guests, making his eighth appearance, which is unbelievable that he's been willing to do this eight times. We thank him so much. A warm welcome to one of our favorites, Damon Hack. What's up, Damon? Steven, it's great to be with you. I always love that intro. It never gets old. I love hearing the old uh, UCLA fight song. Yeah, uh, one of uh, one of my brother's friends won the national championship for Union College, right? And uh, wow, in hockey, right? They only have twenty two hundred students. Um, so he's on the show today as well, and uh, couldn't find their fight song. That. <laughs> <laughs> I found out. I found out one existed, <laughs> and um, I found some like nerdy kind of kids singing it. Like a, a, but I'm like I can't bring you into that, Sam. So we had to go elsewhere. But <laughs> luckily, you went to a beautiful historic college like UCLA and fight song. And people love their. You know the one that uh, got huge was Tim Layden. The first time when he was on, uh, he went to a smaller school as well. I can't remember which one off the top of my head. But uh, I tracked his down, like, the AD of the school sent me an MP3 of it. And boy, did that, what was, he was pumped. Like, he, like we, he was, you know, I think, I'd be willing to bet that was the first time he came into his fight song. But yeah, it's a good way to, it's a good way to get the guests on your side. You know what I mean? Like, very few people uh, come onto their fight song and are like, oh, I hated that. You know, usually it's. That's a great way to do it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, thank you so much for being on. I always look forward to having you on uh, and, uh. The Masters, obviously, is one of the biggest weekends for golf. And I was disappointed, very disappointed, to find out just how poorly kind of it did from a television standpoint. And I know there was a lot of factors. One, I think it was the first nice weekend on the East Coast, really, in months. I mean, it was beautiful. It was 75 degrees in Buffalo, and I know it was like that up and down. So that was a factor. And guys like Phil Mickelson didn't make the cut. That had to hurt. But I'd be very naive if I didn't ignore the obvious reason it was as bad as it was, and it was because Tiger Woods didn't play, right? 
And uh, and I wonder if you think that is is it is golf going to ever be able to get back when he's done for good? This is what this is what it made me wonder. What I wanted to ask you is when he's done for good. Is golf going to have a long time? Are they going to have to get used to a new normal? Or can they may, somehow maintain after maybe a small drop-off? Or is it just inevitable that golf's going to have to adjust to going back to a new normal post-Tiger Woods? It's a great question, Steve, and I have to be honest with you. I've been thinking about it, and I've been talking about it with my cohorts and co-workers and people that are involved in golf and involved in sports. And I think the numbers or lack thereof of the Masters coverage, the lack of viewership, it was pretty alarming. I mean, we, we like to think of our, our sport as healthy and, you know, there's a lot of young stars. That's kind of been the story of 2013-14, the emergence of Jordan Spieth and Patrick Reed and Harris English, all these winners, all these American winners from all over the country with interesting backstories. But at the end of the day... I think Tiger has been such a different, dynamic, you know, controversial at times, but utterly spectacular golfer that when he is gone and when he is done, I don't think that the combination of Jordan Spieth and and Patrick Reed and Harris English is going to be enough. You may have to find someone who's so different, who's so good, as Tiger has been. Otherwise, I think golf could be in trouble, and, and, and those ratings that we saw this week at, at Augusta will be the new normal. I, I was surprised. I thought that the emergence of, of a 20-year-old in Jordan Speed trying to win his first major championship and his first Masters appearance would be enough to carry the day. Bubba Watson uh, is about as big as he can get outside of Tiger and Phil going for a second green jacket in, in three years, and it, and it just didn't capture the imagination of the public outside of the diehard golf fan. And, and to me, that's a troubling trend. Yeah, and you know what else is we've always kind of, and this happens in every sport, when you have a guy who's in the conversation for the greatest of all time in your sport, you always have to look look, look beyond it and say, okay, where's the, where is the sport going to be when, when that player is gone? And, and we've been preparing for this for a while because of the way the arc of Tiger Woods' career has gone. You can almost post uh, Thanksgiving 2000 and whatever, and after it's been a lot different, and there's been all these comebacks. I mean, Tiger's back. How many times has that been the headline, right? But when we've looked ahead, we've looked at the young golfers that can can take this to the next the, the next group, and it seems like, and it's given me a, a different appreciation for what Tiger has done because what what's going on with Royal McIlroy in the sense that like he his career has has stumbled. It was so much so soon, it, it seems like he struggled to maintain it. And now I'm wondering, now with the next new guy, like you've mentioned, Jordan Spieth, who was amazing this weekend, and I loved his his, his interview about how, how hungry he felt now. And and um, But if he goes on and wins the next major by eight strokes after almost winning the green jacket and makes a $100 million doing it, can can – like – I don't know what my question is. Well, I do, but I'm having trouble spitting it out. But what I'm saying to you is it seems like it's so hard to get from 20-year-old promising golfer, even if you get a major, to career superstar. That's proving harder than we would think because Tiger made it look so easy. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely true. I, I think there's a lot of expectations 
we're all kind of breathless and hoping and waiting for that next person. And a lot of us put that stock into Rory. You know, you win your first two majors by eight shots. You know, he's 20, you know, mid-20s. And, and everyone was saying, well, we found the next Tiger. You know, Tiger was convalescing in 2011 and dealing with, you know, his comeback from the scandal when Rory McIlroy had a chance to win the Masters and he blew his four-shot lead on Sunday, shot 80, but then bounced back two months later and won a U.S. Open by eight. Then you turn to 2012, he went to PGA by eight shots. But I said, you know what? We found that guy. And then he has a terrible 2013, doesn't win a PGA Tour event at all. And you know what? It's not that easy to find the next Tiger Woods. Tiger is so different, has been so spectacular and so much better than the second best guy. That's the thing. Tigers, you know, we used to joke about it. Tiger would say, you know, I had my C game this week and I won by two. And he wasn't lying, you know. His, his B and A game are, are five to ten shots better than anybody else. And I think that because of the level of golf that he's played, we, we just expect the next person to be able to duplicate that. And I, I just think it's too big of an ask. I think maybe, you know, Roy McIlroy wins five or six majors for his career. You know, that's, that's Hall of Fame stuff. That's tremendous. If Jordan Spieth wins six or seven majors, that's that's remarkable. Tigers won 14. He, I don't think he's done winning majors. I think he'll win a couple more. I don't know if he'll win 18. But what he did, winning seven majors in 11 tournaments, from 1999 to 2002, winning a Masters by 12, a U.S. Open by 15, and a British Open by 8. I mean, that's just that's just out-of-this-world stuff. And I think that's going to be, you know, coming down the pike from Jordan Spieth or Harris, English or Roy McIlroy on a regular basis, that's just going to be too much to ask. Yeah, and I think there's this... We want it so badly as a society, as uh, the media. Like, we just... It's like going to be. It's it's such a shock. I think like when one of these guys goes, it's like well, there's got and we've just. I think I've realized. I've really put into perspective in the last year or two how incredible the guy was and maybe still is or whatever. But we. What about okay? So saying all that, so let's do it again. So let's talk about Jordan, who I always call Justin for whatever reason. I want to call him Justin, even though his name is Jordan. And uh, so what about him, and why could he be the next potential Hall of Fame golfer? Let's just say that, because you don't have to be Tiger Woods to be in the Hall of Fame. There's only one guy in the Hall of Fame. But why, why do we, what do we see in, in the Masters this weekend that makes us think he could possibly be that guy? Well, he had a chance, first of all, to eclipse Tiger Woods and not come from the record books by becoming the youngest Masters champion in history. Tiger won in 1997 at age 21. Jordan Spieth is 20. He had the lead on Sunday at Augusta National, and he's been showing throughout his short professional career of a year and a half that he's not afraid to win on the PGA Tour. He did that as a 19-year-old with the John Deere Classic. He was selected to the President's Cup team because he shot 62 alongside Phil Mickelson at the Deutsche Bank. And the way he carries himself in the press room, he's very mature. He's also extremely fiery, and I've actually taken him to task a little bit because I think he's fully emotional and perhaps maybe a little too volatile uh, for his own good long term. And, you know, what Tiger's built the same way. Tiger will slam a club or, or get, you know, curse under his breath or sometimes not under his breath. And, you know, Jordan had a couple of volatile moments on Sunday and he was taking a task a little bit by Twitter. But I think the overwhelming majority of folks, and this is a 20 year old, he's going to find his feet, he's going to find his maturity. But he's not afraid and he is hungry. 
and you can tell that he's a special player. He's got a tremendous short game, makes a lot of putts, holes, bunker shots at the clutch moment. Uh, so there's so much to like about him, especially his youth. It, the, the youth is the thing in, in every sport, whether it's you're talking about a young quarterback, an RG3, whether you're talking about Lydia Coe, a 16-year-old on the LPGA with two LPGA wins, uh, Rory McIlroy, Ricky Fowler, Jordan Spieth. We put so much stock in, in the fresh-faced person, and, and I think that Jordan Spieth has the, has the game to back up a lot of the expectations. Not Tiger Woods' expectations, but multi-major championship expectations. Yeah, and you mentioned it, but I absolutely love the way he handled not winning the tournament. Like, it just seemed like... He could have said a lot of things at the end of it, and it seems like the things he said were all the things you would you would expect a future potential Hall of Fame type player to have said. Like everything he yeah. said, I was like, "Wow, yeah, yep, yep." You're hungry? Oh, okay, perfect. Like it just he handled it great. I thought. Yeah, the moment wasn't too big for him. Nope. You know, he had a couple loose shots, but you can tell that you know what this is a guy who loves the fight. He's not. He's not playing golf for money. He's playing golf because he wants to win golf tournaments. He wants to he wants to beat everybody on the golf course, and that's very much like Tiger was early uh, in his career. He and, and still he just wants to beat everybody. You know, I talked to his late father Earl back for a, a speech right back in two thousand and two, going into the Best Page U.S. Open, and Earl told me, you know what, Tiger wants to beat the golf course. He, you know, he he wants to beat the golf course and everything on it. He just wants to win. You, know, you you put a bunker here, you put water there. Tiger wants to show you he can just destroy the golf course, and that's. I think Jordan Spieth has a lot of that same mentality. I want to ask you a little bit about Bubba Watson. Uh, he's thirty five years old, so he's not particularly young. He's not necessarily particularly old. Uh, he's got six wins on the tour. He's got the two green jackets. Those are his two majors. And I wonder about his game. And I saw someone tweet. I don't know who, and maybe there's a lot of people who said. He's just right now. His, set, his game is just the perfect game for the course. And from now until he's not anymore, he's going to be in the hunt at this at the Masters. He's a Masters golfer. Do you think that that's a fair uh, view of his game? Is he a guy that we can, all, or is he a guy who can win other majors too? He hasn't yet. A great question. It's a great question. Is that 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 is the question? Is he going to be? a guy that can win a U.S. Open or a PGA. And you know what? He's been in a playoff. He had a chance to win the PGA back in 2010 uh, whistling straights when Martin Tyler ended up winning and Dustin Johnson ended up, you know, hitting out of that bunker that he didn't think was a bunker and he grounded his club and he got penalized. Right. But I'll tell you what, Bo Watson, for that golf course, which has always rewarded the long hitter, very much like Tiger when he first came on the scene, you know, 366-yard drives on 13 with a gap wedge in your hands for a par five is just that's just crazy. And also the way some of those holes bend, you know, they they bend right to left. He likes to hit a cut, but the cut shot for a left hander, you have to hit a cut on a lot of those holes on nine, for example, on 13, for example, on 15. Um, there are a lot of holes that favor his eye. And I think that just uh, he's he's shown a, a few more levels to his game than we might have given him credit for. He's not just a long drive guy. He's got a wonderful touch around the greens. Great imagination with his irons. We saw two years ago when he hit that hook shot from the trees. This is a guy who's not afraid to take on shots. There's a lot of movement left to right, right to left at Augusta National. He likes to hit shots with shape. 
and his putting stroke, which is occasionally a little bit bulky, he's found uh, some calm and some and some and some uh, some focus with his short game and with his putting. And I think he's definitely found some maturity in his life. His wife and, and he adopted a little boy two years ago. I think it centered him a little bit to focus the guy. He can sometimes be a little volatile himself. I think Bill Watson has a, has a very good chance to win at least one or two more green jackets. Uh, I definitely think he's headed to a Hall of Fame career. 17 players have won two Masters or more. 15 are in the Hall of Fame already. The only two that are not Tiger Woods and Bubba Watson. We know one of those is certainly going. Uh, <laughs> so with the PGA, so it's still early in the season, and uh, the first major is now over, and then... In May, we have the Players' Championship, which has often been considered maybe like a fifth major, sort of. And um, then it will be Father's Day before we know it, which is obviously a huge day for you now. And uh, it'll be Father's Day, and it'll be it'll be the uh, the second major. So between now and then, what what are you going to be? What and who are you going to be watching as we get ready here in the next month or two for the next major? What What are the stories? What are the things at Golf Channel that you're going to be focusing on? What are the what's and who's now here in the next few weeks? Yeah, I think Jordan Spieth gets a huge bounce from his runner-up finish at the Masters. He's 20 years old. He likes to play a heavy schedule, uh, planning to play this week at Hilton Head. Uh, this is a guy that likes to tee it up. He's young. He's fresh. He's hungry. So, Jordan will be one to watch. We'll also be watching Bubba. He's going to be a favorite now, along with Phil Mickelson at the U.S. Open at Pinehurst. He's going to be very, 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 um, it'll be very interesting to watch how he handles his second major championship. He, This is a player who, when he won two years ago, he acknowledges, I wasn't ready for everything that goes with winning a major championship. The eyeballs, the media pressure, the scrutiny. I think he's more mature to handle it. And obviously the third thing, and maybe the most important, because we were talking about Tiger to start this interview, is when is Tiger coming back? You know, his, right. his friend Nota Begay went on record and said, you know what, I don't think he's going to be back for the U.S. Open. That, that's a big deal. Pinehurst has back-to-back men and women U.S. Open uh, this year for the first time in history. There's so much excitement about it. Bill Mickelson going for the career grand slam there. Tiger, who finished second uh, in 2005 and third, in 1999, was kind of looking at a trend line that maybe he would knock off that 15th major at Pinehurst this year. That's probably not going to happen now, but we'll all be kind of wondering how Tiger is healing and when he's coming back. You know, it's it's it speaks to volumes that no matter what we want to say about new guys, emerging guys, guys like Bubba Watson, I know, and I'm sure you would agree, that when it comes down to it, and it's Tuesday and Wednesday before the U.S. Open, we're going to be talking, is Tiger there or not? Looks like at this point, maybe not. But that we're going to be talking about Tiger not being there. And we're going to be talking about, can Phil Mickelson get over the hump? 2013 is sixth, second place. Can this be the time? It's like that's still going to be it. No matter what else we want to talk about now, and I wanted to talk about other things because I know there's plenty of places to go to talk about the main things. I wanted to try to dig in a little bit with you. No matter what we do, it's still going to come back to that, right? It really is. It really is. It's, it's, you know, we're talking about Tom Brady. We're talking about yep. Jordan and, and Peyton Manning and Magic and Bird. I mean, it, Tiger Woods, and, and, and to a smaller extent, but still an important extent, Phil Mickelson, these are the two guys that have really, uh, you know, for good and for bad, they both had struggles. They both had issues. They both uh, dealt with injury in their careers. But these two guys, these two sons of Southern California and of the 
former Pac-10 and now Pac-12, these two men that are sons of military fathers, uh, have really kind of been the, the fuel, the engine for the PGA Tour for, the, for nearly 20 years now. And I think that there's a comfort level with the with the golf fan and the sports fan with, with these two players in the mix. And, and they were sorely missed uh, this weekend at Augusta National and, and as a, as a sports writer by, by, by trade and by heart and now on television, it's all about the story. You know, it's all about Tiger pursuing Jack. It's all about Phil going to get the career grand slam. And, yes, we'll welcome these new young stories, these new young talents, but the main movers right now in the game of golf, and no one can deny it, are, are Tiger and Phil. Damon Hack is on Monday through Friday, right? You're on that golf channel. I see you all the time on there. Uh, talking, he's on Twitter. He's at Damon Hack GC, and I, I tweeted this, Damon. I don't, I can't remember if you've seen it or not, but I did tweet this last year, and I'm sure it'll happen this year again, no matter what. And I'm getting used to you as a golf guy. I'm getting used to you because you know we got our guys. We got our guys that we call for the basketball. We got our guys that we call for the football. And you're like our, you know, you're one of our go-to golf guys. I'm getting used to that. But every year since you've left Sports Illustrated. That it's that first week of the football season when the SI comes. I want to go to the Damon Hack game story. <laughs> it still That's bothers so nice me that it's say. not there. That's nice to say. I, I had great times at SI. Five years, it flew by like five minutes. I, I got to say, and I, I uh, I'm still close to a lot of people that you uh, have on your show, Lee Jenkins, Tim Layden. Um, so much respect for for the craft of writing, and it, it was my my uh, trade for, gosh, 15 years of, uh, of wonderful journalism and, and a lot of great stories. And, and now I'm just telling them on television, I'll still write for the website every once in a while. And every now and then I'll link an old SI or New York Times story on Twitter and I'll, I'll hear from people I haven't heard for a while and say, hey, nice to see that old byline again. And it, and it makes me smile. Well, as much as you respect those guys, we respect you just as much or more. Thank you so much for not just today, but for all eight appearances you made on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Damon. Anytime, Stephen. Thank you. All right. I want to thank Damon Hack for being on the show. We love Damon Hack, and we always say during football season, we miss his presence because he was always such a great guest because he would cover huge games for sports illustrated right and we'd be able to call him and say hey can you come and talk to us about literally the biggest thing that happened in the sports world that week and he'd be like yeah let's do it right right so it's always great to have him for the biggest things that happened in the golf world so thank you to damon for being on father of triplets wow all right nhl playoff preview we're gonna kind of go through this a little bit quick we already talked about some of the Bigger picture issues with the playoffs this year with Puck Daddy. Focus more kind of on the series. We'll just go through them each and give a quick prediction. Uh, Boston and Detroit is a really interesting matchup in the sense that Detroit is just on this unbelievable run. 23 straight years in the playoffs, which blows my mind. Yeah. And uh, the Bruins are the number one seed in the league. uh, And they're going to have a lot of pressure this year to to win a cup. Because this is the team to to beat. Yeah, the team to beat. And uh, the thing about Detroit is they're going to be big underdogs, but they're a tough out. They're always a tough out. Chicago, they were the team to beat last year, and they had to come back from 3-1 to one right. on Detroit to do it. 
and they had to win some overtime games in there. Detroit had their chances. Detroit is a tough out. They're a prideful, prideful team. They're going to be a tough out, but I'm still going to go with Boston in six here. Yeah, I got Boston in five. Uh, everything that you said is true, uh, and they're going to have the added uh, setback of Zetterberg being out unless it's a really long series. And I don't know if I like any team in the league against Boston in a really long series. It just seems like that's what Boston does. Is they We talk about sometimes how the Stanley Cups are a battle of attrition, not always skill, and Boston has both. they got guys that can beat you down physically and score on you so it's a it's a real tough tough matchup for detroit in the in the first round nobody's gonna beat boston unless they get one of those first two in boston you're gonna have to do that against this team yep uh the winner of that series is gonna play tampa bay montreal i've said it before on this show and i'll say it again i don't think there's a more high pressure position in all of professional sports than goalie for the montreal Montreal, canadians and carrie price has been dealing with it from a very young age and i have a ton of respect for Carey Price as an athlete because of that. I think it's phenomenal the way that he – I think he's one of the most mentally tough athletes I've ever watched just because of what I know about the pressure of being a goalie in the city where Ken Dryden and Patrick Waugh and many others have won Stanley Cups and playing under those banners and the lights and the pressure of hockey in Montreal. And I think that that means something. And Ben Bishop, the goalie for Tampa Bay, is a huge part of that team, and he's still day-to-day. Yeah, he's not going to start, I don't think. Uh, I don't think he's going to play the first game. Maybe they get him back, but I think it's going to be too late. I'm going to take Montreal in five. Yeah, I have Montreal in six here. This is more of a gut. Uh, the advanced stats don't like Montreal that much, but it's a gut. It's uh, I like Thomas Vanek thing. It's uh, Maybe they rally around being the only team from Canada in the playoffs type thing. So I don't think it'll be an easy series for them, but I'll, I'll take Montreal at six. And so many of those advanced stats were made with Ben Bishop in that. And that's such sure. a question mark. You yep. know what I mean? So, All right. Uh, the other top seed in the East is Pittsburgh. They're going to play Columbus, who's played all four playoff games ever. And... This is a spot where you might lean towards an upset, but Malkin, I guess, is going to be ready or could play in game one. If he could play in game one, he's going to play in game two. And uh, what's his name's back from the stroke? Right, Latang. Latang is back as well. Uh, it's just not going to happen. I don't care what any advanced stats say. Right, yeah, I said at the beginning that Pittsburgh had some of the worst advanced stats. Like right. Columbus actually has the better advanced stats than Pittsburgh. You but. could uh, you could make a case that Pittsburgh could be ripe for an upset. I'm just not going to predict it. Not no, from I, a team that's never won a playoff game. Right. Ever. I I have Pittsburgh in four. Yeah, so despite do I. liking all the advanced stats. Uh, I don't. I can't name anyone on Columbus. I'll give them one. You give them one? I'll give them. They'll get off. They'll win one of those two home games. It's going to be a great atmosphere in that building, I'm sure, those two nights. Who's and on I'll Columbus give them one. anymore? Is uh, the guy that's always hurt. <laughs> Gabrick? Yeah, is Gabrick still there? Yes, Gabrick is there. So, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, that's what you would need. You need a goalie to steal one and Gabrick to maybe go off. I don't even know if he's hurt now. I mean, it's always a coin flip whether or not Gabrick's hurt. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't see it. Advanced stats be damned in that category. I, I just don't see him beating Pittsburgh and Crosby and Malkin if he plays. All right, so the winner of that series will play what is, a, I'm sure, a series that will drag out because they're going to try to get this on NBC on Saturday and NBC <laughs> on Sunday. And, and maybe they'll wait. I, I don't know. Maybe it's the hockey conspiracy. But they're going to just – this is going to be the, the series to, to be everywhere. 
They'd like it to. Yeah, it's uh, the Rangers and the Flyers, and the league desperately wants this one to go long and seven and get some buzz for their league right away. Uh, it's two huge markets and yep. two teams that mean something on TV, I guess. Uh, so it's interesting. The Rangers are the team, right? In the advanced stats, like this is the team that they're, advanced they're, they're, stats say. I think they're the team that uh, is maybe undervalued compared to where their advanced stats are. Right, and I think that's what I'm getting at. So, yeah. uh, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll play ball. I'll, I'll take the Rangers in six. Yeah, I like the Rangers in five here. I uh the playoffs sometimes come down to goaltending, and I don't know if there's a better goalie in the league. I mean, maybe not. His numbers might not bear it out this year. but And as always, the Flyers have uncertainty in goal. Right. The headline on, on uh, NHL.com is Flyers-Mason. Uncertain. Right. And that's always yeah. – that, that headline could be written any day. Yeah, just leave a right. blank spot in there. Flyers goalie, uncertain. Robert Esch. Right. Uh, who did the Sabres beat? Check Monik. Yeah, it's uncertain. Yeah. They've been uncertain since Hextall. Yeah. Even with Hextall right. times, uncertain. So – yeah. Uh, Western Conference, the Avalanche caught the Blues sleeping, right? Just caught the Blues sleeping, snuck up, grabbed that division, and uh, they will host the Minnesota Wild, who's got a lot of guys there. They yeah. got guys who make money, and they have good players. And this is where I'm going to sneak the upset in because the this Avalanche team has had a year way beyond expectation. Sure. And – this would be the Sabres having this year two years from now, basically. They were right, a bad just team. Way beyond expectation. Really done well, yeah. And they've been so hot, and their big players are so young. And I think a guy like Ryan Suter and a guy like Jason Pominville, uh, guys who've been in this league and have made money and have – I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to say that the, the, the Wild will shock the Avalanche in seven. Yeah, um, I never like picking the away team in Game 7. I don't know what the numbers are on that. I have no idea. Uh, I took Colorado in 7, but, I mean, I picked 7 games, so it's obviously close. For all the same reasons you said, I read one article that said something along the lines of, this is probably the only matchup in the West that Colorado would have been favored in against Minnesota. So they kind of drew a good matchup. I, I think maybe they can ride that for one series, but I don't expect them to go deep. They will play the winner of St. Louis and Chicago, which is also an interesting series. It seems like Kane and Taze will be back for game one. Uh, St. Louis, they slept through the the last seven games of the season. Uh, Ryan Miller is not the goalie he was in Buffalo that first four months of the year or however long he played Or the first six, seven games in St. Louis. In St. Louis as well, right, where he started really hot. Uh, I... I am going to have trouble picking against the Blackhawks here, so I'm going to just take the Blackhawks, and I'm going to say that uh, St. Louis will struggle to find secondary scoring, and Chicago will find it. Uh, so I'll pick uh, Chicago to win at home in Game 6. Yeah, I picked Chicago in 5. Uh, yeah, we're hating on the Blues. Yeah, I just don't think... I think it's one thing sometimes in the NFL to sit your guy for half a game or one game and then have him turn it back on, but they've been bad like you said for a couple weeks now and i think it's going to be hard to just flip a switch against the defending cup winner so chicago maybe hasn't had the best season ever but again they're just defending stanley cup winner they've been there they know how to win this and st louis looks a little lost right now the ducks play the stars the stars did a great job to get in it's going to be good for them to get guys like tyler sagan some experience in the playoffs. Sure, yeah. They're not beating the Ducks, though. 
The Ducks are a great team. They're one of the best teams in the league. This playoffs is going to be a victory lap for Timu Solani. His last game in this playoffs is going to be his last game in this league. Yeah. And they're just way better. Uh, and if uh, Dallas wins one, I'll be surprised. So I'll, I'll just go with the Ducks in four. I actually went with Dallas here in six. This is a lot of just, uh, I wouldn't even say a gut. It's kind of rooting for Lindy Ruff and Steve Ott. And, uh, or no, Steve Ott's in St. Louis. Uh, who's in Dallas now? Chris Mueller from <laughs> Buffalo, New York. West Africa born. That's who you're thinking. All right, maybe it's just Lindy Ruff then. But uh, Anaheim, if you go by those advanced stats, is one of the most perplexing teams in the league now that Toronto came back to earth because Toronto was – terrible in every category they were worse than the sabers and all those advanced stats yet were hung around the playoffs until really late but anaheim is considering they were the i believe the second, second best, best team yeah. in the league uh they just aren't a great puck possession team they have great talent like that's the hardest thing to pick and again this is probably picking more with my heart uh and going for lindy here but i picked them in six give me dallas in six and they will play the winner of what Puck Daddy said earlier is the best series in the first round, and it's hard to argue with him. I'm sure the NHL wants him to quiet down about that because those games are going to be at 1030. So. Yeah. Uh, but San Jose is very good, and Los Angeles is very good. And they and if Anaheim wins, whoever wins the series, that's going to be another great series. Like Whoever gets to the Western Conference Final from this bracket is going to have certainly – Sure. battled their way there, especially if it's one of these two teams, San Jose and L.A. Yeah, this is where that whole bracket thing could come. I mean, maybe St. Louis turns it on and gives Chicago a really good series, but if they don't, you could argue Chicago might have an easy path to the Cup, until, or at least to the conference finals. And then what is left of the team standing there, right. especially if it is San Jose or L.A. Because the first thing I did when I picked this is I said, all right, it's going seven games. I also have it in seven. And then I said, all right, now who am I going to lean towards? And I picked L.A. just because of Jonathan Quick. I'd rather have him playing game seven than the other goalie. So I just picked the Kings very marginally. Yeah, I picked San Jose uh, not for any particular reason. My brother's a fan of them. Uh, I think they maybe are a tiny bit under the radar this year. Like It seemed like every other year people would pick them to win it all. And Less they would pressure, fall maybe. under. Yeah, right. there's no pressure there. These guys have a lot of playoff experience. Um, I would say I'd expect the eventual Stanley Cup or the Western representative from the Cup to come out of this series. If I think the only other team that could really fight for that is Chicago. So the only thing, like you said, that could stand in their way is that they're just going to have a tough, tough road there. Battle. All right, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back with Sam Coda. From the Union Dutchman. Gives a lot of programs hope. Yes, that's exactly right. And more ECAC pride. Back-to-back national championships. Yale and Pittsburgh. Union and Philadelphia. A hockey tradition is born in the city of brotherly love. Union and Philadelphia are champions. Our next guest is from Minnetonka, Minnesota. Played junior hockey in the USHL for the Sioux Falls Stampede and is 
a member of the Union College Dutchman, the 2014 NCAA Ice Hockey National Champions. A warm sportscaster's welcome for the first time to Sam Cota. What's up, Sam? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on, bud. You know, so I got a lot I got to ask you about, obviously, new national champion. We've had several national champions on the show, not just hockey players. We've had football players uh, that have won the national championship on the show. Uh, So I got a lot to ask you about that, but... I want to start back a little bit, and uh, I think I mentioned it before you came on on the show, but I don't know Sam that great. I know more about Sam than I know actually knowing Sam. We've met each other a few Mm -hmm. times, but my brother and Sam are really close friends from junior hockey, and I have this this picture, and uh, it's one of my favorite pictures from Anthony's whole career, and it's actually one of my favorite moments, too, and it wouldn't have happened without Sam, so I'm going to give you some huge props here, Sam. So, all right, so you... Everyone can picture like a quarterback who is getting blitzed and he just stands there for like an extra second and he knows he's going to get absolutely blasted, but he stands in and then he like throws a touchdown pass. You can picture that play, right, Sam? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, I saw you make one of those plays on the very first (laughs) weekend of your USHL career. And uh, so it was the second night, second official night you guys are in the league and, uh, Let's see, so it's about midway through the, the first period or so, and I'm sitting there with, uh, all by my, I went all by myself because I, I really wanted to see Anthony's first two USHL games, and um, yeah. I was sitting with his, with his host family, and I was watching the play unfold, and I'm watching you come up the ice, and there was this split second where I was like, wow, Sam is going to get blasted right now, like <laughs> blasted, and... I didn't realize until after you got blasted that you basically started a two-on-one because everyone was so excited to blast you that they let Dominic and Anthony get by, and they passed it a few times. Anthony scored his first USHL goal, and it never happened without you taking that hit. So I don't think we've ever actually talked. And there's a great picture of you who got hit so hard, and you're already up and into the play before it got in the net, and you got hit like right at the blue line, so... Tough yep. kid, obviously. No, I, I, uh, I, I definitely remember the play, um, surprisingly, because <laughs> it was a big hit. But uh, I do remember it was at home, right? Yeah, it's a home game, and uh, yeah, it was a great. It was a great weekend. It was really, really ex- exciting. <laughs> <laughs> exciting. Well, thank, thank God, uh, David put it in for me, so I didn't look too stupid. Yeah, here I'm sending you this right now. So I sent you this picture right. I made, and you can see that by then you're already up. And there's three dumb guys in black jerseys chasing these two there. It's, it's, <laughs> it's great. But uh, anyway, um, I'm curious about a lot of things. Well, first thing is the first thing I ever knew about you is that you're nervous. I remember Anthony telling me that you were really nervous you weren't going to make uh, the Sioux Falls team. And I remember him saying that he was thinking that if so there was like the three of you kind of together at first, you, Anthony, yep, and Zamo, yep. right? He was like, I was always thinking if any one of the three of us would get cut, it would be me. And Sam was always the most nervous. And I wonder, like, I was thinking about that today, actually, remembering what I know about you and stuff. And I was thinking about it in terms of, all right, so we have a kid from the state of hockey, Minnesota, and there's there's all these these hockey players there. And it must just always be competitive, right? Like, have you always had a feel like you had a fight, like at every level? Did you always feel that way about yourself? Do you always maybe underrate no, yourself a little bit? Is it well, like a I, complex? I, mean, I, was, uh, I think I was always, I was always confident in, in my ability uh, as a hockey player. But uh, I think, uh, you know, I was always around uh, excellent players, you know, ever since I was, you know, ever since I got on the ice, really. So 
Um, I was always surrounded by really good players and, and, you know, I, I saw how, how good they were. And, uh, I think maybe that was for, I kind of said when I got to the USHL, it's just seeing that, you know, it, you know, when you're young and you're from Minnesota and you're playing high school hockey, you're thinking, you know, that's pretty much all there is, you know, is, is high school hockey in Minnesota. So well, then when I had the opportunity to try out in Sioux Falls, it was, it was kind of, you know, uh, eye-opening to, to see how many more, uh, really good players there were. And, uh, you know, I think I was always confident that I was that I was going to make the team. I, I was the, like their last draft pick, I, I believe, for that year. So it was. Uh, but even even with that, um, I, I was confident that I'd make the team. But at the same time, uh, it was an opportunity that I, I didn't want to let up and not make the team. You know, I I know that a lot of the perception of hockey in Minnesota is that it kind of starts and ends in Minnesota. I don't even mean that as a negative because it very easily can no. for a Minnesota kid to be born and never leave Minnesota and play all, all the way from the bottom to the top. It can be done at this point. Right. Uh, but uh, I, I noticed like last year uh, talking to Tommy Fallon, who's from Minnesota as well uh, about the perception of people from Minnesota. And I wonder, like you mentioned how much emphasis is put on high school hockey and then it's almost like if you don't play college hockey, and if you're not one of the guys that Minnesota, you know, the U or one of the other schools in Minnesota looks at right away, does that kind of do you kind of like lose that sight of that dream for a little bit? Like, oh man, well I guess I'm um, not a Minnesota guy. Or, I mean, what? Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, like when you're growing up in Minnesota, that's that's really you know everyone around you is committed to to play at programs uh, around there. You know. Um, whether it's Duluth, St. Cloud State, Minnesota, Mankato, um, Bemidji, it, it's, uh, it's kind of weird in the way where you just never really think about going, going somewhere else. And so, um, no, I don't, I didn't get pursued heavily by, by many Minnesota teams early on. And I don't think that really, really bothered me. I was okay with, you know, maybe getting an opportunity somewhere else and, and, you know, coming out east or out west or wherever it may have been. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, your perception of hockey is is a little different when when you grow up there and you know you're playing in, in state tournaments with you know eighteen thousand fans. Uh, you just think, okay, this is this has got to be you know uh, uh, where you know hockey hockey players are, and uh, you know that's kind of kind of the mindset I think of a lot of guys is it's a sticker on home. Um, and obviously, uh, Anthony and Tommy and I uh, went a little different route for. For reasons, you know, we had opportunities elsewhere, and um, you know, I think it's I think it's been a, a great thing for for me, uh, not just as a hockey player, but uh, you know, just to kind of get out and, and realize that you know there is a bigger world out there than than just uh, just that little area of the Midwest. Well, tell me a little bit about that opportunity, like playing through uh, junior hockey at Sioux Falls. At what point did you kind of focus in on Union? Like, how did the opportunity at Union come about, and what made you ultimately decide that that would be the place for you? Yeah, I, uh, well, I, I talked to a good amount of schools, like, through high school, and then uh, in my first year in the USHL a little bit, and then uh, it was actually the first weekend of my second year, second season in, in Sioux Falls, where uh, I was approached by uh, an assistant coach at Union College, uh, actually a previous assistant coach, uh, Ben Barr, who's at Providence now, and uh, he was at that uh, that fall festival, like the Buck Bowl, they called it back then, and uh, just met with him a little bit after the game. I think I, I think I had a couple goals in, in like one of the first games there, and 
um, he, he liked what he saw and said, you know, we we're just going to be in touch and, and, uh, kind of talked, you know, throughout the whole first half of the year, uh, trying to get out for a visit. And, um, I had, uh, I'd gone on a couple other visits, um, previous to that. And, uh, when I came home, I just, I just felt that, uh, the opportunity at union was awesome. And, uh, you know, the, they were definitely a program on the rise up and, uh, you know, I enjoyed the coaching staff and, and the facilities and everything, and, and I thought also academically it would be a great move for me. It's interesting for you and for your class specifically because you guys were obviously recruited by different coaches and mm-hmm. played with different coaches, but you've always had success there. Obviously, every year you've been there, you guys have won an ECAC title, so you've played in the NCAA tournament every year. You've been in two, two Frozen Fours. But you've also had some of the players from your class you know, stick with it, stay three years. You also had players like Trevor Mangolia, you know, not whatever that situation was. I have no idea, but he decided, yep. you know, to go with the other coaches, which is interesting. Uh, but yeah. what about the transition and, and what about the transition worked for you specifically? Yeah, well, the, the transition, transition as far as the coaching staff wasn't, uh, like for, for my class, wasn't a, a big deal, you know, just because, we didn't really know the coaches, you know, before. So it was, uh, you know, the experience of, of Union College was was what we had right away. And uh, the, the coaching staff, the, the new coaching staff was, you know, really the, the first coaching staff that we had, uh, you know, a chance to build relationships with. So um, uh, I think it was, uh, you know, you get that call when, or when we found out that, uh, a couple months after, actually, I committed, uh, we found out the coaching staff was going to change. And uh, right away, it was kind of weird, uh, kind of threw me off. But, um, you know, then I realized that uh, uh, Coach Bennett would, would get the head coach job, head coaching job. And, uh, you know, I met him on a visit and enjoyed my conversation with him and, and him as a coach and uh, felt that, that it would be great. And, um, you know, I'm lucky that, uh, that I stuck around and, you know, <laughs> didn't jump to conclusions and or worried about uh, you know a, a different coaching staff than than the one that recruited me. What uh what about when you when you went from the USHL to college hockey and you got your career started at Union and you guys go that first year and you get to the get all the way to the Frozen Four? Tell me a little bit about that that experience and and what the jump was like and how you adjusted and 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 what it was like to be a, to be a freshman and a supporting player on that team, and then as we build towards, we'll find out how it was different this year as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, uh, I mean, obviously when you when you jump up leagues, it's going to be a, a big transition. But to college hockey was a, was a whole different deal, um, just because you know you're playing with uh, playing with older guys and stronger guys, and um, not only that, but also you're, you're trying to manage school at the same time and. And, uh, you know, for me, being being uh, out here on the East Coast as opposed to uh, Sioux Falls, which is only, you know, two hours away from my house. So, um, you know, it was definitely a big transition. But uh, uh, luckily, we had a great team our, our, my freshman year. And, um, you know, it definitely helped us make the transition smoother. And, um, you know, I, I played, uh, I think I played all but one game my freshman year, which was, which was awesome just to get uh, a, a lot of reps at it and, um, you know, we had uh, just a great group of guys early on that could help you out and, and help you out with the transition. Who did, did you guys lose to BC or did you guys lose to Ferris or whoever they beat? I can't recall. Uh, we lost to uh, Ferris State the first Fer- game. Ferris State. Okay, so you're in the first four. Yeah. Gotcha. So now, well, t- 
tell me a little bit about in between. So the second year, it's still a great team. You guys are a top 10 team a lot of the year. The conference is arguably maybe the best year in the history of the conference. Maybe I mean, it's probably almost no argument that the last two years are the mm-hmm. best two years in the history of the conference, you know, post-1984 when the Hockey East teams left or whenever that was. But uh, yeah. so last year, you still a great team, still a top 10 team, still a ECAC championship winning team. And uh, BC beat them in the, the first round. Yeah. I heard them making excuses this year saying, that, oh, maybe they took you lightly last year. Whatever. Yeah. Right. So uh, you beat them, and then you play Quinnipiac for the chance to go to the, the Frozen Four. Uh, tell me a yeah. little bit about ending a little bit short last year and maybe how that changed the attitude going forward into this year. Yeah, that was that was obviously tough. Uh, that was a, a really good team we had again. And, uh, uh, you know, we were – we were kind of back and forth throughout the whole year. Um, I don't know if we had maybe uh, that was probably that was the season with with the most losses we've had. But I think we had like twelve, ten or twelve losses, something like that. But um, yeah, to to get to where we got, and you know, after a, a big emotional win against uh, Boston College in uh, in the first round of the uh, the tournament, it was it was tough to to go back the next night and and lose to Quinnipiac. Um, you know they just they uh, they came out hard right away. I think Peck had a hat trick in the first period, so uh, that was tough for us. And it uh, uh, I don't know if it I think it did help this year. Um, just kind of realizing you know uh, you know it does come down to one game, and you know and and it comes down to every little play and every little minute. And uh, obviously uh, we didn't have our game there in the first period, and um, you know we fell behind pretty early in the game and it was just too it was too tough to come back from so i think uh i think you know that hurt a lot to lose that game and to be one game away from the frozen four that year was was difficult but uh i, I did think it, it helped us and helped to realize how difficult it is to win those games and uh just how ready and prepared you got to be for each and every game you know after your freshman year and uh the loss to ferris and then they go and they lose to bc and, and you go home it's, it's like ah you know, we we prove that our conference and our team we, we belong on, on that stage with the big guys. And then I wonder the next year, uh, you know, you, you mentioned falling a little short, but it's to a conference team, and then and they go on and they play in the championship game, and then Yale also a conference team plays and wins, and it's a team from your conference, a team that you had played during yeah. the season. Did mm-hmm. you know the team that you had? I think you guys were while well, this. Quinnipiac and Union, you were the last two teams to beat them. So, like, yeah. did that change the perception at all? Was it was it did it make you was it a different feeling like watching them win it? Like, oh man, like we're we're in that league and we've beaten that team and and that like did it change your the way you yeah. thought? You know? Yeah, I don't know if it changed. Um, I think we always you know we play we play those we play ECAC teams you know day in and day out um, every weekend. So uh, we know how good how good our league is and, and how difficult it is to, to, you know, get two points on any given night. So uh, I don't think we were like surprised that two ECAC teams uh, were in the finals uh, that year, but um, yeah, I think it definitely gave us a little confidence that, you know, those are both teams that, uh, you know, we had played with throughout the year and done well against throughout the year. So it kind of gave us a, you know, a little heads up, like, uh, you know, that, that we do belong there. Um, I, I think we kind of felt that the whole way, but that was uh, maybe a little icing on the cake that 
that we do belong there, and you know that that could be us next year. So, um, uh, like I said, I think the win against a big team like PC helped set, uh, my sophomore year, and then also to to see both Yale and Quinnipiac in the finals uh, helped as well. Talk with Sam Coda, new national champion from Union College. Uh, Sam's on Twitter. You can give him some buzz there at Sam Coda. Uh, so this year, I, I I was laughing. I was watching some video, and I it, so they were asking uh, Shane Gossespierre some questions on there, and he looked right into the camera and he said, uh, "Someone in the media said that we were going to be in a rebuilding year, and uh, well, I guess we proved them wrong." So that was maybe somewhat yeah. the perception of the team going into the year, uh, losing players to graduation and players leaving early to play pro. And, uh-huh. you know, a new goalie this year. And uh, what was it about this team? I and mean, you only lost six games all year. It's not even like there was this, like, period of transition at all for the team. You guys were off and running right from the start. And uh, yeah. and, and I'll say this, that Anthony told me right from the start he thought you guys were the best team in the league. Um, that, you were, that, that was the team he was most, like, scared of. Uh, mm-hmm. To put it, I don't know if that's the word he used. I might be putting words in his mouth. He might hate me for saying yeah, it yeah. that way, but... Uh, he mentioned very early he thought you guys were the real deal. That might be the way he put it. That team is the real yeah, deal. Yeah, no, I'm sure he did. Right. So how so how did uh, how did that happen so quick for a team that others perceived? Are people just dumb? Like you know, like because I mean, <laughs> you know, like I noticed already. Like someone put up a top fifteen from last for next year already, and yeah. there's like four teams in the ECAC already ahead of you, and I think there's seven teams mentioned ahead of Yale. So, I mean, the last yeah. two national champions are already only viewed as, like, you know, the fourth and seventh best team in a league that is already, again, being downplayed going into the season. I think there's five teams ahead of Colgate, who I think was the first uh, ECAC team. So, right. like, is it just, a, like, a a perception thing? I mean, just people just don't know? Or, like, what is uh, it? Yeah, I don't know. I, th- I, think, uh, I think, obviously, people are always speculating, you know, what they think. And, and obviously, they're, they're right to their own opinion about... Uh, about how the field team is going to be. Um, I think with our team, um, yeah, it was tough early on. You know, we uh, lost some really good seniors and uh, lost a couple guys early. Um, and uh, you know, I had to bring uh, had to bring a few guys in that uh, weren't going to you know weren't going to be in this year. So um, I think looking at it, maybe people would think that that we would struggle. And um, you know, actually early on we did struggle. We started. Uh, I think we started. Well, we got swept the first weekend, so we were 0-2, and then uh, I think we tied the next two nights, so we, were, we started uh, pretty poorly. And, you mean in, uh, the, in the league? You know, I, our first two games, we lost. Our, we got swept by Lake State our first two games. No, you, you, <laughs> you t- I'm actually just looking. I'm not being a smart aleck. You uh, tied and beat Bowling Green the first weekend. Lake State was the second oh, okay. weekend. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we were 1-1. One one, right, right. And then, yeah, uh, no, I see what you mean, though. It doesn't change your point. I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I guess I just remember those losses against, losses against uh, Lake State, but yeah, I think uh, I think early on, I think you know, I, I don't know if we struggled because it was a transition or it was we just uh, we just struggled and you know those those teams uh, played well. So I think it was uh, you know a combination of that where um, you know maybe we were just trying to find out ourselves uh, how good we could be and and uh, you know it didn't take long for us to do that. Was there a point and, uh, when you knew? I'm sorry. I mean, but was there a, was there a moment for you where where it clicked where you knew that what this team was capable of? Or uh, all right. um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if there was one specific uh, moment, but uh, you just saw our team just just uh, keep getting better every day, 
and uh, we have you know a bunch of guys that just worked hard and, and chipped in. And I think uh, a big thing about our team was just how deep we were. Um, you know, we had uh, we had I think six different scores uh, in our last game there, so that kind of just shows uh, you know how, how deep our team was. I think we did realize that you know pretty early on there and um, kind of ran away with it. Yeah, so just a few more questions for you, and I'll let you go. Sam Coda from the National Champion Union. Dutchman, I'm sure you guys got a parade on Thursday, which I read that there's some churches stressing out about yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> parade route, uh, possibly interrupting <laughs> Holy Thursday. Uh, so be careful. I don't want you guys to get hit by lightning or anything. But uh, <laughs> So uh, just a quick qu- couple questions about the Frozen Four this year. So big, yeah. big uh, impact, do you think, having beat, BC last year, did that give you guys a little extra confidence playing the number one overall seed in the tournament uh, this year in the first uh, game in the Frozen Four? Yeah, I don't know uh, if guys thought about it too much. Um, maybe maybe the younger guys uh, could just just for them to, to realize that, you know, we can play those big teams and beat those big teams. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. We, we were confident as a group and, um, you know, all, all year long felt that, that we deserved to to be up there with uh, the big name teams, and uh, you know we played some played some great teams throughout our league and and out of our league throughout of the year throughout the year. So um, I think that prepared us pretty well and and uh, prepared us for that game against Boston College. Now here's something I'm really curious about. So I remember at the Frozen Four last year, uh, Yale was in the first game as well, and I remember Anthony and one of his other teammates and I we watched a little bit of the Quinnipiac-St. Cloud game. I think we watched, uh-huh. I mean, it's pretty obvious really kind of quickly, I remember, that Quinnipiac was going to win. That wasn't yeah. the case this year. Where did you kind of watch that kind of crazy game play out? Like, at what point yeah. did, did you stay and watch the whole game? Did you watch a little bit and go back? Like, tell me about waiting for the opponent. Yeah, well, uh, we had that first game, and that was huge for us, I think. Uh, we talked about it all year. Uh, we just wanted to set the table well, and and set us up to, to you know, be, be in positions like that. Um, my sophomore year was tough. Uh, we played a late late game, and then uh, I had to play early the next day, so that was difficult. So uh, so this year, obviously, it helped a lot having that early game. Uh, right after the right after our first game, uh, we all went back to the hotel and uh, just got dinner there and um, watched the game in our in our hotel rooms in our bed. So it was kind of nice to. To wind down and uh, or try to wind down while watching that that intense game and uh, just to figure out who we we're going to play the next night. Um, you wanted Minnesota, was, uh, right? You wanted them bad. What's that? You wanted Minnesota bad, <laughs> didn't you? No, I don't know. Come on, I, I got asked that a lot. Like, like if I had like motivation for for sticking it to the Gophers or and stuff like that, and and really uh, I didn't. I mean, I I. I Got that question probably like twelve times throughout the throughout the weekend, and honestly, I, I said if I need more motivation for a national championship, then then we got problems. So, uh, I, you know, it was cool to play, you know, guys that I know and uh, from you know the big school back at my at my hometown and where I'm from. But I think it was cool, and not not on the respect of you know winning a national championship, you know, over them, but just. Uh, just for you know, a bunch of people back home that were able to watch and and you know see me play or you know cheer for me or against me or whatever. But just to just to know that uh, it was going to be a big game back home and 
uh, you know, I'd have all my friends and, and family watching it in that respect. What were there three players from your high school on another team? Did I see? Uh, I played with uh, Justin Hall, and then uh, uh, Vinny Lottieri is just—he's uh, a really good family friend and good friends with my brother. Um, uh, he was younger than me, so I never played with him. But I mean, really, you look at any any team you play, and you know, you know a bunch of guys from the team. So, right. uh, you know, playing against guys that I knew it wasn't uh, wasn't anything crazier. Or anything new. Justin scored the big goal, right? Yeah, he did the night before. Yeah, he's uh, he's a funny kid, and uh, uh, got a kick out of his interview after the game. That was pretty good. <laughs> um, all right, uh, final thoughts. What about uh, like when? Do, when do you think this kind of when do you when do you as an athlete start thinking about next year? Because it's not just next year for you; it's your senior year. Who knows what right. happens after, you know, maybe you go on and, and play more, maybe you don't. I have no idea, but that's a big year regardless of whether you're going to play it as a national champion or not. So when do you start right. getting ready for that? Like when does that start, when do you start thinking about it? Because, you know what, wait, before you answer that, I'm going to tell you, like, I always heard about growing up, and I lived in Buffalo, so we, there wasn't many championships to celebrate around here, okay? But right. I always heard, I always heard about this, like, this bullseye, quote unquote, that gets put on your back when you're a champion, and it sounded really stupid, yeah. stupid to me. Okay, and then uh, in 2010, uh, the Saints. I'm a lifelong New Orleans Saints fan. Long story, but uh, they won yeah. the Super Bowl, and I seen it the next year, and I, I kind of believed it, but not really. I said that's ah, got to be in my head, and then I seen it this year with Anthony and Yell. I'm going to tell you right now, it's a real thing. You're gonna. Oh, I believe it. It's a real yeah. thing. Like it's a, it's a different, it's a different, it's going to be a different. Different animal every night next year. You're not going to be Union mm-hmm. College anymore. You're going to be the defending champions every single time Union College is mentioned for the next year. Defending champions going to be right after it. So when do you start preparing yeah. for something like that? Yeah, I think uh, I think obviously we enjoy it for a little bit here. Um, yeah, and, yeah, definitely you know, that. And, and just like just like you would any season, whether we were champions or not, you know, you, you take some time after the year to to just kind of wind down and. And, uh, you know, have some fun doing some other things and, you know, doing your schoolwork more or, you know, working on some other things and, and just not thinking about the rink and hockey, uh, 24 seven. So, so it's nice to do that. But, uh, like you said, the, the, the target will definitely be on our back, um, next year. And, and, you know, that's something that's fun that that's going to be exciting is, is getting teams at their best, uh, getting teams best every single night. Um, I think, uh, I think we felt it a little bit. In the past, you know, I think teams didn't, you know, early on didn't respect us uh, as much as, as much as you know they may now or they have uh, in the past couple of years. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I think it'll be it'll be really fun, you know, getting everyone's pass every single night and and knowing that uh, you are defending champs and uh, you know if you want you want to come anywhere close to that again that, that you're gonna have to provide your best every night. All right, Sam. Well, listen. This was a long chat. I don't know if you expected it to be this long or not. I'm sure you have other things uh, to do. I'm sure, I'm sure you have parties to go to, classes to go to, people to see. You know, you got you got you got to get ready to get your ring finger sized <laughs> up. You know, things like that. You got to do some banner shopping. I know you guys are gonna be really busy. But uh, Sam Coda Union College at Sam Coda on Twitter. And uh, oh, one last thing. Let's end on this because I was yeah. thinking that this is what I was thinking. All right. So my guess is that. 
Puck Daddy was on the show. Okay, so all right, we're kind of name dropping, right? And so is Damon Hack, who's on Golf Channel. We get some good guys. So yeah, we, we, yeah, got some good guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had some. We've had a show for a long time now. We get you know a decent amount of downloads. So there's going to be you know people just hear you. Some of those people, I'm gonna be honest, probably bailed on this a bit ago. Uh, maybe you know. <laughs> I don't know how interesting this is or not, but I don't care. It's my show, so I'll talk to you as long as I want. You but, love it. You gotta love it. Right, right. But uh, I'm going to guess there's going to be other people who are going to listen because they want to hear what Sam has to say. There's going to be those people. And it's a long journey, right, from the 6 a.m. practices in somewhere in Minnesota to get to the point where you can have a picture like you posted holding the national championship trophy in the locker room. So sure. I wonder maybe there's some people you want to say that you've probably already said it to privately, but maybe publicly there's some people you want to acknowledge and thank for being a part of what is a really, really long ride filled with lots of ups and downs. So I'll let you go ahead. You, you can have the last word. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's obviously been a long ride. And, and with that long ride, there's there's so many people to thank. Uh, uh, just my teammates in general. And then uh, uh, my family has been an awesome support, uh, not just my direct family, but my big family, um, uh, cousins, uh, uncles, aunts, grandma, grandpas, they've, they supported me the whole way and, um, you know, came to a bunch of games and, you know, they're always sending me texts and giving me calls saying, saying congrats and, you know, good luck in the upcoming game. So I want to thank them. Um, I think early on uh, I had a coach and Chris Wilson who uh, helped me just love the game of hockey and made it so enjoyable, which was, which was huge for me. Um, uh, other coaches are Eric Johnson, Brian Urich, um, uh, Kevin Ziegler at uh, at Sioux Falls. He he's been awesome and and believed in me so much uh, that uh, that I was able to to play in Sioux Falls with uh, Kevin Hartzell too. Uh, he pushed me hard and um, you know I wouldn't be where I am today without those guys. And uh, obviously I, I know I'm missing a bunch of people, um, but uh, uh, I do appreciate all their support and uh, it's it's been tremendous to have. All right, I want to thank our guests today, Greg Wyshynski, the Puck Daddy from Yahoo.com, Damon Hack from the Golf Channel, and Sam Coda. Congratulations on the national title. Sam, ah, we mentioned this earlier, but don't forget you can find our work at www.sports-casters.com. Last week we had Chris Ballard, Jeff Perlman, and David Shoemaker on what was a great episode of the show, Season 4, Episode 10. Uh, this is 411. You can also find our shows on Stitcher, iTunes, and uh, if there's any third-party apps that you like to use and, right. and you can't find us, let us know. Sportscasters at gmail.com. All right, one last thing for me this week. Uh, we were just talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs and how it would probably be, well, it will be the swan song for Team Mussolini. And I just got to say, I don't know that, I know he's not an American. I know he's not a Canadian. Finnish. He's Finnish. But it would be hard to find a better ambassador for a league, just uh a consummate pro, uh, and a guy that has just been really, really good despite getting older. Like, Yager's kind of doing it these last few years, but Solani, boy, did his numbers not drop off all that much. I don't know exactly what he has this year, but uh, just a great pro. Uh, You can't say enough good things about him. It's hard a guy that's impossible to root against. I think I rooted against him when I was 13 years old, and he was – 
challenging Alexander McGillney for the Rocket Richard Trophy, which didn't they exist tied. yet. But uh, or right, yeah, yeah. But I see what you mean. Yeah, they did tie with seventy six goals. One of the most exciting seasons in NHL hockey history. Yeah, uh, finally got his cup in oh six oh seven in a year that the they were the best team in the league. The Sabres won the President's Trophy. Got pushed around by Ottawa, who then was pushed around by Anaheim. So it was nice he got his cup that year after appearing in another cup against the Devils in another awesome series. That was just a really cool uh, Anaheim Ducks team, as cool as like a, a team named after a Disney movie can be, but uh, with him in Korea. And I saw a really cool thing he did, and you can find the video out there. I'm sure Puck Daddy's got it on his blog. But he had, for his last home game in the duck pond i think they call it right. i don't know what it's for a second called. and third star it's the honda something right yeah. yeah he was the first second and third star of the game and was basically taking a victory lap or taking a farewell lap around the arena for the last regular season game and to show what a gentleman he is the backup goalie for i believe colorado was J.S. Jaguar, who he pulled out and had do the victory lap with him, who is also probably in his last season. Uh, but just a cool thing to do for a guy from a different team to kind of share that moment with him. Uh, the, he was the he yeah. was the MVP of the time they lost. Right. Is he yep. the MVP his of the winning year, life. too? I don't think so. No. So, But still, a really cool gesture by a really cool guy. And for that reason, I... I would pull for Anaheim this year. I know I said I'm pulling for Dallas for Lindy Ruff, but it'd be just as easy to root for Anaheim and Timu Solani, who had an awesome career. All right, one last thing for me, one last thing for the show today. I've got a little bit of personal talking to Sam Coda. Obviously, it would have been easy for me to dial up the union PR department and talk to Shane Gass Despair, who was the star of the team, was plus seven in the uh, National Championship game. Wow. <laughs> had three points, a goal, two assists, and was plus seven in the National Championship game. Or I could have talked to Daniel Carr on the team who set the school record for most points in a career this year. Or uh, Matt Bodie, who was the captain for the last two years and signed with the New York Rangers today. But uh, I, I like Sam because uh, my brother likes Sam. And I like to uh, I like to root for the guys that, that I've met along – along the way here with Anthony. And uh, I've always said that uh, it's never to me necessarily been about whether Anthony's team wins or loses. That's nice, obviously. I cheer for that to happen. But it's not, in the end, the most important thing to me. And certainly whether he scored or made an assist or did or didn't has never been the most important thing to me. It's always been just being able to be a part of it and uh, being able to meet the guys and uh, going to dinner and... Uh, going to the games in different cities with my family and things like that. It's about the journey. And I want to share one quick story and uh, give credit to someone who we have on the show already a few times, but one last time because something significant happened over the weekend. But uh, Anthony's freshman year at Yale, I didn't go to a game at Yale. I did go to a a few road games, but I didn't make it to Yale that year. It's mostly because of how I felt, which wasn't very good which, as we all know, led to kind of an epic collapse in my health. It was a, I probably should have been listening to the signs at that point, but wasn't. Uh, but uh, anyway, the first time I went to Yale uh, was uh, during Anthony's sophomore year. And at some point on the way there or something, I said, I really want to meet Kenny Agostino because he's a Penguins draft pick and one of my good buddies is a Penguins season ticket holder. And it'd be really cool if like Kenny would call him 
and said hi to him. And just kind of us kind of kidding around a little bit. Right. Uh, the Sabres do this thing where sometimes they'll have like players call to like make the sales call to renew the season tickets. You know, right? Or they drop right, them off, or they'll drop them off, or silly promotions like that. So that was like kind of like my idea in my head. Like, oh, I'll have this kid call. Like, hey, Matt, this is Kenny Agostino, future <laughs> Pittsburgh Penguins player, just calling to say hello. Uh, so it's kind of a, a funny thing, and. I told my mom that or something and we ended up sitting near Kenny's parents and they introduced me to them. And my mom said, told his mom this story, which is kind of like, Oh God, you know, uh, you know, and, uh, they thought it was, you know, the greatest thing. And then we were all, you all wait after the game for the guys to come up. And, uh, so I was waiting for Anthony and kind of maybe even forgotten about it. And I think I was talking to Anthony at this point. And then, Kenny's mom came over and said, Kenny, this is Anthony's brother, Steve. And this is the first time I've ever met him. And her introduction to him isn't really about me being Anthony's brother. It's this is Anthony's brother. And this is the idea he had. And you should really do it (laughs) because she thought it was a great idea, too. So within 30 seconds of meeting him, he had my cell phone like on his ear, like placing this random call. And um, that was the first time I met him. And then. I got to know him a lot more, obviously, over the course of what was a crazy, crazy year in Yale hockey, right? And then after the, the season and the national championship, uh, he came down to Buffalo and uh, came to my brother's stag. And then he came down to Buffalo again uh, for the whole weekend for the rehearsal dinner and for the wedding itself and uh, solely grew to one of my all-time favorite Anthony's teammates and we talked about on this show, he finished, he's been on the show actually two yes, times. Yep. Yeah. After they won the national championship and before they raised the national championship banner this year. And he's just a great guy. He's uh, someone that I really care about. And uh, my mom mentioned that after he scored his first NHL goal, which we played the highlight for, I think last week's show or maybe the show before, uh, that she texts Kenny uh, to say congratulations on the goal, thinking she is one of thousands texting Kenny and that, you know, he would get to it and read it and maybe text her back in a day or two or maybe not at all. She didn't care. And she said she noticed before she put her phone down that those little bubbles that come up on the iPhone, you probably don't know yeah, about yeah, this because yeah. you don't have an iPhone. But it's, it indicates the person's like texting you back. And does Android do this too? I don't know if they uh, – maybe different apps too, sure. Right. But uh, So she noticed they came up and she's like, oh, he can't really – and they texted her back like right away and said thank you and whatever. She loved that. But, right. Uh, I've been texting with Kenny uh, back and forth since he's been gone to Calgary, and he always gets back to me. And uh, I texted him on Sunday and said, congratulations on the end of the first year of your NHL career. And I said, and I will text you this 14 more times (laughs) after the end of your second season and third season and fourth season. And he said, I hope so. And I said, well, don't worry. I won't die. (laughs) You know, kind of meaning that the only way we won't do that is if it's my fault, not yours. Right. So uh, uh, this is a long-winded way to say congratulations to Kenny on the end of his first NHL season and uh, best of luck to you in all of your future NHL endeavors. And uh, it's been a real treat to be your friend. There are six and three quarter billion people in this world of them are girls You roll your eyes like I'm full of it But I Google that sh- And if the world is four times bigger than the moon 
did I find you with just two grains of sand blowing on the beach? Damn, that's deep. 